This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, folks, welcome back once again. It's been a long time, but here we are back at you. The DLR Cast, the podcast by and for fans of the mighty one, the retired one, Diamond <laughs> David Lee Roth. As always, I'm Steve, along with my good fan, good friend, co-host, and fellow fan, good but not fanboy, Darren Palchowitz. <laughs> good fan of Steve Roth. It's a, fan, a friend, a mutual appreciator, whatever it is. Good to be connected. Uh, happy Friday to you. Happy Friday, indeed. It has been a while, as I mentioned, and we are uh, talking ostensibly live. You are back once again in Las Vegas. However, this time, not for a David Lee Roth, David Lee Roth show. No, um, I was able to combine a work trip with celebrating a wedding anniversary with Sammy Hagar's here with Michael Anthony. Oh, and- I, I love these conversations. <laughs> Honey, do you want to go back to Vegas? Hold on. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I were making her go see Molly Hatchet tonight, then I'd really have to apologize. But, um, you know. Are you H- saying you you would have a possibility to see Molly Hatchet tonight? I could Is see it- Molly Hatchet if I wanted to. Okay. Wow. Instead, instead, we're seeing a different show tonight and a different show tomorrow. You know, Vegas is really booming with live entertainment. That's something that Dave was saying when he was hyping up his residency. He was saying that Vegas is the epicenter for live entertainment. And you're going, yeah, sure, Dave. Yep, whatever you're doing, that's the cool thing. That's the new thing. But really it is. Like every night we're here, there's three to five concerts I'd seriously consider going to. And it's not just classic rock, it's modern rock too. Like Incubus, uh, tonight and tomorrow, I think I would see. Clutch played, I think, last night. That's a cool band. Foreigner has a few residency gigs. Scorpions with Skid Row, Molly Hatchet. I mean, how many cities have that many great shows in such a short period? Well, and that's the thing. I mean, it makes total total sense whether you want to do a residency or not. You've got such a, a huge array and variety of different size venues there, all with great sound, right? You know, you don't have major traffic problems to get in and out of the place like you do New York, LA, Chicago, San Francisco, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring that many people in, you know, that many shows all at one time. I mean, any given night there's shows going all the time in different cities. But for bands, you know, and Las Vegas is such a big destination. So for bands that don't kill them, want to kill themselves on the road so much anymore or can't let's bring the mountain to the band. Don't have the band go to the mountain. Ha- the, the, you know what I'm saying? Whatever that analogy is. I, I know what you're saying. And plus there's less pressure for the band to play a long set and they kind of want them to end early. So Sammy Hagar, they listed on the website, they said 9 PM to 10 30. Most venues will say, okay, nine to 10 30 uh, doors are at six. Because they want you to drink for a couple hours there. A venue like that is like, no, we want you in the casino and feeding our restaurants money. We want you out of here as soon as possible. So when Sammy, you know, it, when it was 1030, you could see him, the crew looking at each other a little bit like, we want to do more. Are we allowed to? And, you know, they did an extra two or three songs probably over that curfew. If you want, if you're a band and you want to stretch out a bit, you've got the, you know, you got the place to do it because it is your fans that are showing up there. I mean, Cheap Trick recently did a bunch of shows there and over four nights they did 80 different songs, which props to them. I don't think any band is, uh, any veteran band 
would even come close to trying that. But um, I want to get back to Sammy for a minute, but obviously this is the DLR cast. We don't have a whole lot of Dave news, unsurprisingly, although a week ago, some quotes from Valerie Bertinelli showed up talking about the split from, you know, uh, Eddie and Dave splitting and Van Halen splitting up. The headline at Metal Sucks says, uh, and this was taken from Rob Lowe's podcast, uh, Valerie Bertinelli denies being Van Halen's quote, Yoko Ono said David Lee Roth is behind the sentiment. And um, she's been out promoting her book enough already, learning to love the way I am today. And she does. And there's been a lot of quotes for the last few months. She talks a lot about her relationship with Eddie. Uh, it says, uh, Valerie has addressed the idea that she caused the band split with singer David Lee Roth, though she does make it clear that Roth was the member of the band who disliked her. She said the dynamics of the band changed. I got along uh, after her and Ed got involved. I got along great with Al and with Mike. It was someone else. I don't know why he didn't like me, but what are you going to do? I don't know why he didn't like me. I mean, I was always nice to him. I honestly don't know. One day I'd like to sit down with him and go, dude, what do they do? Honestly, I've been a fan of yours. I think you're a brilliant front man. I think you're a brilliant songwriter. I love your lyrics. Why don't you like me? What did I do? This is all transcribed from Rob Lowe's podcast, uh, her yeah. appearance on Rob Lowe's podcast via Metal Sucks. And I don't know if any of this is really new. And obviously there are people were there people weren't there i like to think that uh, i've always thought that this band was headed for an implosion anyway with or without valerie bernelli yeah. musical differences uh work differences a lot of drugs and we're talking about this because i think we're on an anniversary of when 5150 was first released which was yeah. sammy's debut as lead vocalist for van halen yeah that is a lot to unpack right there <laughs> More and more time goes on with the, you know, Dave says he was fired. Van Halen says that he quit, which is identical to Motley Crue with Vince Neil. A lot of bands that kind of happens with the lead singer. But more time goes on, the more I go like, Dave may not have quit, but he did all the things that somebody quitting a band would do. (laughs) It's almost like a person who has a good job and then goes, you know what? I'm thinking of going to another job. Let me take all the steps needed to network so I can land that job. I would say by saying to the producer of your band, hey, I'm making an EP, and saying to the manager of said band, hey, I'm making an EP, and saying to the film studio, it's time that I make a movie. (laughs) I think you're kind of quitting the band. Yeah, it's kind of did were uh, did you fall or were you pushed, right? I mean, yeah. At this Good point, example. at this point, we've read so much about it over the years. I've, I just there's a part of me that really thinks to ba- wonder. I wonder if he ever just he doesn't strike me as someone who regrets anything for a minute. So maybe he doesn't do this at all. But when the lights go down and the and and at the end of the day, I wonder if he often had thought in the last forty years. And thought or yeah, 35 years or whatever gone. Damn, I really wish I did that differently because they did scale some huge heights with Hagar, but that didn't end up very well. That didn't end up good with, with Hagar anyway. I think the dynamics of that band, particularly with Eddie and his issues and just the, the overall dynamics with the two brothers. I mean, basically if you were in that orbit and you were not blood related, it was going to go bad. Witness David Lee Roth, witness Michael Anthony, Witness Sammy Hagar because it, it all ended badly for all those guys. Witness Gary Sharon. True. Uh, yes. Witness Mitch. Uh, what's his name again? The guy who's Mitch, Mitch Malloy. Malloy. Uh, 
witness Billy Sheen being asked to join Van Halen and then them Behind going, Michael's eh, back. maybe not. <laughs> witness the keyboard player, forget his name, he was with Aerosmith for 10, 15 years and had an audition. You know, witness Ted Templeman coming in and out. It's really just a long list of people that they love and hate really, really, really quickly for better and for worse. Yeah, it was kind of like a very small mafia family in a weird way. You yeah. had, you couldn't, you couldn't. I mean, there was quotes, and I'm barely paraphrasing, but I can remember on more than one occasion reading a quote from Eddie saying, "Hey, if you're in this band, you're in this band. You don't get to do solo stuff." Well, that changed and softened, I think, towards the end there. But it was your, it was that one way. You were in that band. You were in that gang. You were in that that family, and that was it. Yeah. So so bring it back to seeing Sammy Hagar live. Yes. Mike Anthony's in the band. Jason Bonham on drums. Longtime Hagar guitarist from the Waterboys. Vic Johnson on guitar. It is. I was thinking about this deeply because, unfortunately, I think about entertainment deeply, whereas most people go, it's entertainment. I'm having a good right. time and a story. It is the exact opposite of the Roth show that I saw two years and change ago. And I could give every example on the planet on that. And one example would be multiple times during the show, Sammy Hagar has a microphone in one hand and a Sharpie in the other hand and is signing autographs while singing songs. <laughs> Can you imagine David Lee Roth doing that? No. I, I, I remember that when they did that Best of Both Worlds tour, okay? Yeah. And, and... Sammy always, I mean, Dave, he's a perfectionist, we know, and hundreds, yeah. hundreds, hundreds, if not hundreds, if a thousand shows under his belt, right? And I've never once thought Dave was going through the motions, right? Whether I've seen him with Van Halen or solo. However, we know set list don't, didn't change much. We, right. is, we know there was no margin for error. There was nothing really ever. And I was reminded about this, and I guess it was a perfect show to do this with because it's the same with Kiss. When he opened up for Kiss, when I saw him, there was not only no margin of error, but there was no there was no looseness to it. It was almost right. like, do you know what I'm saying? It was like, this is the role. You are I'm the performer. You are the fans. This awesome. we're, we're not going to step out of this very successful and very cool and rocking box, so to speak. Whereas Sammy, even at the Best of Both Worlds tour, and I've talked about this before. I think, you know, Sam. He's got a different show. I always say he's a Jimmy Buffett of hard rock. It's loose. Yeah. It's funny. He's pitching whatever the hell he's doing. This, you know, the songs, the music remains the key. He's always got a great band. Vic Johnson's a monster. Bonham, Jason Bonham, Michael Anthony. Come on, this is a dream band, right? But the biggest thing is, and and I keep going back to this, and I was thinking about this for for this episode, is that Dave's always comes across as the real artiste, the real artist, right? Mm -hmm. Anytime he's done the solo stuff. And this is what my concern was with the Vegas stuff was that it was just going to be a four or five piece band running through hits. I think, you know, he's the type of guy who can get away with a almost a freaking variety show. Get some soulful women backup singers for a couple songs. Yeah. Do the do the big band version of Ice Cream Man, right? Do just straight ahead rock stuff. Do the a little acoustic interlude. He hasn't really taken any chances live or done anything different since the Skyscraper store uh, uh, tour. When they were out there with the steel kettle drums right. doing a Beatles cover or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Make it a carnival. Make it fun because Dave is fun and big and outlandish. But the sh 
but the show's kind of stopped artistically developing for me. Does that hearsay is, I mean, is that, is that terrible to say? Not hearsay. You know what I'm talking about. You could argue that Dave, a few times, like his 95 Vegas residency, which I'm still hoping somebody can find a bootleg video and direct me to, because I really want to see what that show was. I've seen an right. EPA, I've seen a one song teaser, but supposedly that was a variety show, just not with guitars. Otherwise, um, the A Little Ain't Enough tour, I don't think there was any props. I think that was just in, him in front of a band in big arenas. It was. So, I saw I saw that tour. It was a four piece when it came here. But in when it toured Europe and the, and the UK and the video now first came out, he had a rhythm guitarist, which added yeah. definitely a little bit more of a feel to it. He was playing songs from the album. And I think he also had a keyboardist as well. Yes. Brett Tuggle was along for the ride then. The second guitarist, I believe, was Desi Rex from Demals, who Dave, if you do enough research, it says that Dave managed that band, but I don't know how he can manage a band. I can't imagine no. him getting on any business calls and listening to anybody <laughs> saying anything. But I'd say another huge difference is, did you read the prank that Van Halen's crew pulled on Dave where they dropped all the beach balls? Yes. On, on there because yes, loose and yes. He hates I, beach balls. Uh Sammy, not only are they welcoming the beach balls, they're dropping the beach balls, and you see the band members kick the beach balls back at the crowd. So the beach balls alone is a big difference. And the strange thing is, is that I mean that's the sort of thing that probably happened in backyard concerts and crazy shit happened all the times in clubs, yeah. right? I mean, and this is, I'm reaching here, I know, to a degree, because obviously we don't know. We've never had an in-depth conversation with Dave about this at all. But but I just want, I think the solo, at least, he missed so many opportunities to take more chances because fans would have dug it. I really think so. You don't have to just play the Van Halen songs. The people are going out to see you solo, want to hear it all, and they're out there to see you because they know you take these crazy left turns and they embrace it. Yeah, yeah there's always going to be haters. Who the hell knows? But I would bet for a residency in Vegas, he could have ruled Vegas the last couple of years by bringing something bigger yeah. and different. And I can just see it, it in three parts, you know, some hardcore hard rock and kick it out the jams with, uh, you know, classic Van Halen stuff. Go to a bunch of solo stuff. Do some acoustic bluesy stuff with him and a harmonica. Lower the lights. I don't know. Throw in some horns in there. I mean, make it a, an eight piece band for a couple of songs. Now, all of that costs an awful lot of money. Right. But this is a guy who said he spent two hundred thousand dollars to record one version of Ice Cream Man in Vegas. Right. This is a guy. I mean, so it's the guy I got to cut you off the Vegas promo video. I think he said he spent twenty two grand on a kick drum. So, <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, to record one version of Ice Cream Man. So this is a guy who and we broke this story and it came out a week ago. This is a guy who invested seven million dollars in a skincare company that just closed. And thank you very much, folks. The DLR cast did break the story, I believe, several weeks ago. We broke the story that it was the seven million dollars uh, related company that closed. But it closed like a year and a half before all these places reported on it. It really looks like he cared about it for about three to six months and went, OK, done. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and all it is. And here's what really just drives me insane. It is hard to be a big fan when your idols, the people that you have spent 
so much time and emotional energy on just does some shit where you go, what the fuck? In this case, when the announcement for Inc., you know what I'm going here, right? Right? It was the same post on the company's website that he did when uh, almost the same phrase when he posted about Eddie dying. His, uh, his The company website said, first our favorite restaurant, the corner bookstore, now us. What a long, great trip it's been. Yeah. That last, that last uh, seven words there, man. Come on. Well, let's compare Roth and Hagar in this end. Roth starts up one business. He does a couple interviews. He walks. Sammy Hagar's concert. You looked at the crew people. Some of them were wearing Santo shirts. Some of them were wearing Mad Anthony's Cafe shirts. Some of them were wearing Sammy's Beach Bar Rum shirts. And some of them were wearing Cabo Wabo shirts. There was three or four Cabo banners around there. Um, Sammy poured a bottle of a spirit into some people's cups during the show. Very COVID friendly, if you care about COVID still. Um, uh, he did Mosque Tequila, which is basically a Cabo Wabo commercial. So you have one oh, guy. I, I, I'm going to start a, a brand. Okay, done. And then you have the other guy who 15, 20, 25 years later is still loving his brand and promoting it to anyone who listen. It's just every single thing between Roth and Hagar is exactly the opposite. I, I heard from a, an informed source that Roth, if you're in his band, there is a dress code. There is a uniform of sorts, an expectation to look good and dress a certain way. Let's just say Hagar, mm, yeah. you could be in Hagar's band and be by the pool. <laughs> yeah. Check out check out my, my uh, let's put it this way. We could be this close to some, a band member wearing Crocs on stage, okay? Yeah, it's, it's really, really unique. And, and if I can give you one other big difference, I mean, we've talked about this on the show. When we were speculating, like, who's going to come out during Dave's Vegas residency? What special guests? And you're like, he can share a stage with anybody. Uh, Hagar brought out Trombone Shorty for two songs. And you go, wait, what? That is a chance because... I can't imagine there's a big overlap between Hagar's audience and Trombone Shorty's audience, even though they're two big artists. See, there's a difference between, you know, you can be extremely well rehearsed like Dave and Sam's bands are. Okay. They know the songs inside and out. No one's fucking up there on stage, jumping into a song in the wrong key, I bet, or missing a fill or whatever. They're all total pros. Right. I'm assuming unless maybe Sammy's really drunk. Who the hell knows? But even still. Total, total, total pros. The the only spottiness would be in the backing vocals and the vocals, but the playing, Sam included. Right. And that's form. Yeah. Right. And that's just maybe the, the, the day of. Right. I mean, it could be bad one day. But as far as what I'm getting at is that there's 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 no looseness. You know, you can be very well rehearsed and know your craft, know your instrument really well, but still come across and still play with the looseness. But yeah. Sam, all those guys, you know are their own personalities up there. Sam's been playing with Vic Johns for a long time. If you're a Sam fan, you know him. Of course, everybody knows Michael Anthony. Yeah. And everybody knows, uh, you know, Jason Bonham, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dave hasn't, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's all, it's the all Dave show and that's the way it has to be. And that's, and, and it's been very successful, but I think that really limits kind of, that interplay and what you would see on stage. Again, we've brought this up before. 
nobody has been kind of an equal on stage with Dave since since Steve I left. Yeah. So then also looking at the set list that Hagar did, here's a weird thing. He didn't do every hit that he had. He he st- he has so many hits between all of his projects that he still left hits on the table. So you got most of the Van Hagar hits like you got right now when it's love. You got that kind of stuff, but he didn't do dreams. Now, no one can sing dreams in their 70s. That's- I don't think he can still do. Dream- yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, he did a couple of the Montrose hits. He did Bravo. the solo hits. You know, he and he still left out a couple of the solo hits. He did it. I think he opened with a chicken foot song. I didn't notice what the opening song he did. He didn't do I've Done Everything for You, which he's performed once or twice. Not much. You know, Rick Springfield made it a hit, but he left hits on the table, even being on stage 90 to 100 minutes. He brought out like three or four covers. Um, They did Ain't Talking About Love, which was not a song they did all the time, but with Michael Anthony on vocals, they did okay. by Zeppelin because Jason Bonham's there. Sure. It's it's really going like, here's all the stuff that I did over the years. I'm sharing the spotlight. So that's the exact opposite. Ain't talking about love is ballsy and an odd choice, because certainly if you're going to do another Van Halen song, do one when he was in the band, right? From any of those albums. Yeah. A Dave song with Michael singing it. You know what? You know what that shows though? That's not only ballsy, that's super fucking cool. That goes, I got no ego in this. Fans dig this shit. There was a history that Michael Anthony had a history in this band before I was there. Let's play it. And then when they did heavy metal, the title track from the early 80s animated uh, movie. I love that. I love that song. Uh Michael sang a verse. Uh Vic Johnson sang a verse. I didn't know Vic Johnson sang, let alone sang really well. Uh, Jason Bonham kicked in some vocals, I think, on Ain't Talking About Love. It might have been him on the vocal harmonies. So it really is one of those things where everyone gets a chance to shine. I was everyone doing... is spotlighted or spotlit. I think that's the correct verb tense. And you can like Roth and Hagar, but they're the polar opposites. And I think they're both doing an interesting job in in carrying on the Van Halen legacy to the best of the, their, their abilities. Hagar possibly a little better Yeah I mean again My biggest fear and I guess we'll never find out With those cancelled Dave shows Was that these shows would have been Just longer versions of what we've seen So many times in the past certainly you know, As as far as solo That there wouldn't be any you know Guests we there's no way there's going to be guests That there wouldn't that they weren't going to stray from A very rigid set list that there wasn't Going to be any you know maybe one or two deep cuts I mean that's why all us Dave fans lost Our minds when we heard Big Train I mean, nobody expected that. I would have loved to have heard She's My Machine. I would have loved to have heard a, a wacky cover from whatever album. I mean, you know, do Baker Street. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, the fact that even threw that one in there during a 45-minute, 50-minute opening set for Kiss blew my mind. I was like, wow, mate, you know, that's, yeah. I would, if you told me the day before that was going to happen, I would have been like, no way. I would have, right? I mean, throw yeah. in Tobacco Road, throw in something that, I, yeah, it's just, what this this one of the things I love and admire about Sammy is that he's taking risks, he takes chances, even at seventy. He doesn't. He, and I'm not saying there's any lack of effort on Dave's part. I'm just saying creatively, artistically, in a live setting. God, if you're ever going to go out, if you ever now's the time to do something different and have fun with it. And and well, that time's been the last. That time's been 
most of his solo career, he could have done something bigger. Because it certainly pointed in that direction, those first couple albums. Agreed. But speaking of Vegas, uh, the interview this episode. Yes. Ricky Lindia, who was there as part of the band for the first Vegas run. And I don't know if I've seen any other Frankie interviews besides us. Frankie Lindia. So, so let's hold on. This is the first Vegas run before he we went out on the road with Kiss. This yeah. was before COVID. This was yes. end, of, end of 2019, early 2020. The rehearsals were in end of 2019. These were the first string of shows, January 2020. Uh, he had some other obligations and had to bow out of the band. He was not fired. I can confirm that he was not fired by Dave. He could have had the gig longer, but he had other stuff going on. Because when Dave first announced the Vegas shows, what I've gathered is the musicians in that band did not know there was going to be the kiss dates. It's right. not like you're mine for the next year and a half. It's like you're mine for six shows or eight shows. Right, right. And more and more and more. But uh, Frankie did that, had to bow out of Dave's band. And then he joined Rat, which they had some gigs early into the pandemic. Lately, Stephen Pierce has been performing without Rat. But I think if Rat comes back, Frankie will be back in the fold. Uh, don't get me started on Rat. I've always been a huge fan. Okay. Just can we yeah. get. Can we get Warren back in? Bobby Blotzer, Steven, you know, you can't get Robin Crosby in there. So right. let's get Carlos Cavazzo in and Juan. I mean, it just, I can't even, as the kids say. You can't even. But, but I know Lindy is very talented and God bless him for, for stepping up and stepping in there. Oh, yeah. He is a person who in five to 10 years, they won't be saying Frankie Lindia, parentheses, David Lee Roth, comma, rat. They'll be going Frankie Lindia, guitar icon that's how highly i am on this guy good singer too real schooled musician composer you could see his stuff on youtube he happens to be you know a diehard van halen fan but there's a lot more to the guy than the fact that he played in roth's band for uh, a cup of coffee as they say in the wrestling business you can check him out at frank frankielindia.com he's got a cool website there with a bunch of stuff you can even take lessons from him the guy does more than play guitar so uh he's this guy is multi-instrumentalist multi-talented some good yeah. stuff well sorry to cut you off steve i need to get back to the casino to earn <laughs> the comps because if sammy announces more dates I don't want to pay for those tickets. I want those free tickets. So that's why Darren Paltrowitz needs to go back to those tables. Duty calls, my friend. <laughs> we will ch we will chat soon. Enjoy the DLR cast. Thank you for downloading and streaming. Enjoy enjoy the interview with Frank Lindia. We've got more coming up, and thanks for sticking with us. Oh, we have more coming soon, and we set the bar high, and we're going to deliver very shortly. Awesome. I'm impressed by you got the 5150 amp. I see Diver down in the background. Uh-oh. Is it natural, this whole curated cool thing, or did you just want to impress me? <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just BS. It's me just being at BS in it. Well, BS in it. Well, the bottom line is this. I appreciate your time, and you've been on my radar for, you know, two years now. But then when I dig in, I see... Oh, he's got endorsements. He's the real deal. He's not defined by that David Lee Roth gig. So before I get into all that, what are you up to at the moment? Are you still in Rat? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still playing Rat. Um, teaching every day. I love to teach. So I've always, I've been doing that, you know, since before uh, any gig, really. Sure. Um, 
but yeah, just in session stuff, you know, working with a band, uh, Jane Doe, um, helping kind of mentor and shape them and produce and write and record with them and some movie stuff, just a bunch of different, different things, you know? So you're playing eight, nine, 10 hours a day, whether or not we realize it, that's the key. Yeah, of course, definitely. Even if, uh, you know, when, when teaching, you're still playing. Yeah. It's, it's not the same as a practice, you know, me sitting down and practicing and hanging out, of course. Right. Uh, but it, I, I'm still grateful for that. I think it's been surprising to see who has embraced teaching. For example, a couple of days ago, I was talking to Paige Hamilton from Helmet. And he's like, yeah, I'm giving guitar lesson after this. And you go, that dude doesn't need the money per se, but he enjoys the fact of giving back to the next generation. Yeah. And I saw Tony Harnell from TNT today. He's offering up a vocal academy. So That's did, great. Did you always have that teaching gene or is this the last two years or so the necessity of it all? Oh, no. Ever since even in high school, uh, when I, you know, I'm still learning now, but even when I was really learning and in, into it, I had a couple uh younger couple years before a year before me you know in the grade um ask for lessons because they knew the band you know legal tender i was playing in and so i kind of honed in on on that and always enjoyed it got it so you know, make always i always had that type of like whether it's trying to you know do plumbing or whatever it is <laughs> trying to show and help and try to figure it out and pass it on kind of thing and then mentality do you want to plug any endorsements? Get that housekeeping out of the way, so we we. Oh no, nah, it's all good. Charvel, <laughs> Jackson. I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, of course. I'm so grateful for the Charvel and the Jackson and the EVH gear and FU Tone and EMG pickups, all of that. Hey, when you have more than one endorsement in your field, you know you're doing well in life. So you're doing you very know, well. You know what? The coolest part about it is knowing the great people there it's not yeah. about getting stuff uh it's really just about you know the the friendship and like the family type of establishment that you get to create it's really cool it's really cool having peers in your industry is always cool and yeah and knowing you well. can just go and hang and laugh and have fun and everyone you know it's all great it's all good stuff so I'm grateful for that so i can't remember if i typed this in the email to you but my wife and I were at two of the Vegas shows that you did in January 2020 with Roth. Oh, cool. And I noted, uh, I noticed rather Jordan Ziff in the crowd, big yeah. fan of Rad. I've interviewed Stephen Pierce a bunch of times. And awesome. whether or not I was the only person who immediately noticed him, that's a different story. But I was basically going like, hey, what are you doing here? You know, big fan. And he's like, well, I'm here to see my friend Frankie. Yeah, we're best friends, man. <laughs> brother, I mean, we're brothers. We've been brothers since the Charvel thing. I, I think in 2015, when the um, Matt Brown, who is over um, in Arizona, mm -hmm. head of head of you know Charvel Fender Jackson stuff, uh, he was just like, "Dude, you got to meet Jordan Ziff." And I was like, "I don't know. I just met him." I was like, uh, "He's like you. You guys are the same person." And so we went out and had dinner. And then we just, boom, it was just like that. So him coming to the gig was just like, I mean, I've been to all the rap shows before I was in it too. You know, when he'd come here, when he was playing here, whatever. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's funny too, because a couple people came up to him and were like, oh, hey, from rap, right? And it was just different perspectives, you know? 
So that clearly led to you getting into Rad, I would have to assume. It was not a cattle call audition that you survived 60 <laughs> guitarists and pass. It's more, yeah, hey, this guy can play. He can. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. No, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the 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 networking and everything, you know, adds up and, and counts. Uh, but mm -hmm. sometimes you just you, you fall into a position where it's like, okay, well, this happens, that happened you know you know your best buddy or whatever you know whoever it may be just can kind of get you in or not you know that happens a lot or too but it can't so it, it you know yeah but yeah um, i i was able to meet the guys and and hang and play a little and it was just like cool perfect makes sense to me it was nice it was cool it was organic but but speaking of rehearsals and audition and all that, see, I want to pick your brain about your run with Roth because the more people I speak to who were around in that, the more of the story that I'm getting because the story is not publicly out there. So I was curious if I'm totally wrong about any of this or if I'm on point. Are you are, are you ready to get your brain positively, wonderfully picked? Oh boy. Okay. Here we go. So, so naming my sources here. When I spoke with Kane, uh, how do you say his last name? R Rocket's son, the drummer. I never know how to say his last name. Who? I don't uh, know. Rocket's son, Kane, was originally the drummer in 2018 in the Roth Band. Really? I did not know that. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. So he got into the band because Brett Tuggle was MDing it. and. Correct. He couldn't do the dates, and Mike Musselman wound up getting the gig after that. Great, yeah, Mike. Mike is like a brother now too. Great guy. I like Mike a lot. Even if I don't like bowling, I like Mike a lot. I don't think you're on his bowling team, right? No. Okay. So you Mike never asked me, damn it. Okay. Okay. We'll 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 take that offline, and I'll put in a request. So Mike got the gig also through Brett Tuggle. Uh huh. And at that time, Brett Tuggle was the MD. He was playing chords, and he was also throwing in some guitars into the mix. Right. Then at a certain point, Danny Wagner goes from being drum tech to keyboardist in the band. Love Danny. Originally, the guitar player was Chris Griotti. Mm -hmm. Chris great player, great guy. was the only guitar player. Then eventually we get to, there's three guitar players on stage, including Andrew Martin. So somehow it goes from the drum tech becomes the keyboardist, the MD is out, one guitarist, three guitarists. Now these upcoming dates, there's one guitar. Now, when did you come into the whole project and or were you a Brett Tuggle recruiter situation? Yeah, so so uh, it's funny, I, I wasn't, I'm, I'm not even 100% certain as to how uh, or what it was all before me. Uh, but I came in, um, and my buddy, uh, Brent, who plays for Sebastian Bach. Oh, okay. He's like a family friend of mine. Um, and he was like, Hey, Roth needs a guitar player. Would you want to try and, you know, whatever you want to get in, I can throw your name around. So that was when Al was playing. And yeah, I came in and I guess that was right after uh, Griotti and Tuggle right, right, right after that. There was not, it was just me and Al. It was just two, 
two guitar players. So it was right after the three, I guess. Right. Uh, but you know, the reason why it all kind of goes up and down or whatever, back and forth, it's just people, personalities, what, what, what Roth wanted, uh, you know, you just get to know people and how they work and it's not, you know, either there's hard feelings or no hard feelings, but it's just what is wanted, right? Yep. By the boss. And that's just how it goes, you know, that's just how it goes. Um, Being a good hang is part of the gig as much as playing, if not more. Well, of course you have to be a good person and, you know, you could be really good and yeah, maybe that can get you by, but you also have to understand your audience and just be a nice human being, you know? And clearly you passed the test on both the playing and the hang. <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a lot, very, a lot of pressure and, uh, but, you know, what, what I had heard from Kane and I think Mike told me this too, is that when you're rehearsing, you are full on performing. You're not necessarily stage moves per se, but you are really focused. You are not phoning it in when you're rehearsing with Diamond Dave. Oh no, you have to be 100% on, spot on, you're playing, you're dressed up, you're, yeah, you have to be- Dressed up? Well, yeah, well, you know, he wanted the whole, the black thing just to look nice and classy and all that, which is cool. You just follow the protocol and do what you gotta do. And, you know, yeah, rehearsal wasn't like, oops, I messed up, Bo, let's take it over again, garage band kind of shit. It was full on, don't fuck up. <laughs> be, on your, be on your A game, you know, and that's, but it's cool, you know, that's a great, way of being yeah I, mean, I, I was always pretty much like that too even in any band or whatever as as small and you know back in high school too it was always like do it do it right do it you know so were rehearsals uh at the infamous cavern house studio or were you doing mates a traditional la studio space we yeah we were just in la it was nice it was cool it was it was casual hmm because I've heard that from, you know, the original band with Sheehan, Vi, Bissonette, that they, it was in Dave's house. And still in the 90s, it was in Dave's house. I'm guessing in recent years, it moved to Mates or one of the yeah. rehearsal studios. Yeah, we, we weren't at Dave's house, no. Hmm. Got it. So you were a Tuggle recruitment. And the reason that, that that's, or rather you said your friend who plays with Sebastian Bach, but Tuggle in some way, the reason that right. intrigues me is because it seems like everyone who's played with Dave was in some way recruited by Greg Bissonette or Tuggle. Like, even if they're not playing with Dave, they always stuck around in some way. Right. Well, maybe that's just because they are, uh, you know, MD-ish type of personality vibe and everything, you know? Got it. So when you got the band uh, gig there, you knew that Al was going to be there. You knew all along that it was going to be a two guitar attack as opposed to you had all the pressures of the solos. Yes. I knew that there were going to be two guitar players during when I was there. Yeah. So yeah. when it, and I know that's not your classic Van Halen, but you know, well, no, Dave had three or four different eras where he had two guitars on stage. There was a couple of years where there was Toshi Hikeda on stage with Brian Young. I think Desi Rex was up there with Rocket for a little while with Terry Kilgore. So he's done the two guitar wow. thing and it sounds yeah. good. But what was your guidance for the arrangements? Because some of these songs, as you're saying, didn't have two guitars on the recording. Right. Well, a lot of unison stuff. Uh... Or little harmonies, you know, like in Jamie's crying and the little, um, what, pre-chorus thing, you know, sometimes you'd take 
we would split it up or the, the, uh, the vice stuff, uh, just little harmonies that were there in like, uh, um, paradise, little third thing coming up. We would harmonize that or yeah. doubling the, um, ain't talking about love solo. Cause it's not super, um, you know, intricate in a sense. It's, it's more harmony or it's more melodic. So, you know, to a guitar player of my level, it's very intricate for the record. It is very, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm just saying, and, and from the perspective of where we were at, and it was like, oh, cool, let's try to double that, you know, whatever. You know, you just, you got to kind of process of elimination it, right? Did you know all the songs, though, coming into it, or did you most of, know most of them, how to play them, and how they went? Yeah, yeah man. I mean, I'm, I started playing because of Van Halen back when I was, you know, in whatever, sixth grade. How old are you? 11, 12, 13 or something like that. And, you know, I, my dad showed me Van Halen and I don't know, just Eddie was number one from the start as he is and was for millions, trillions of people. But yeah, it, I, I've, I knew the entire catalog. I have a phone book. Oh, I don't have it here right now, but a phone, a tab phone book looking Van Halen. It's literally this big. I got back in however long ago. And wow, so it, was, it was cool coming into it being like, holy shit, really? Are you that way with Ross solo catalog as well? Uh, the first couple albums, really into. Um, but yeah, mainly, it was mainly the Van Halen shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that, I was, was asking Mr. Muscleman, hey, which songs did you work out? Uh, which ones did you rehearse? And Big Train was always in contention. I think he said that uh, Tobacco Road the band had worked on. Do you remember rehearsing yeah. any deep cuts with the other players? Uh, Tobacco Road, didn't we? Wasn't that done in Vegas or no? I don't remember that being played in Vegas. I remember Big Train was the only kind of non-hit, non-single from the solo. Funny. Yeah, we, were, we, we messed around with some different ones. What was it? I know, we yeah, Tobacco Road for sure. Uh, that was cool. That's so funny. I thought we played that. We played that so many times. I remember playing it so many times. I thought we played that live. Um, There's always a chance this guy is wrong. It does happen. No, just no, no, no. I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just funny that I, I'm all done with it. Uh, no, we didn't do Yankee. Everyone always asks me, oh, you do Yankee Rose? We never tried that. Nothing really else. Yeah, it was Big Train. Uh, Big Train's a cool one. I didn't know that one before going into it. Um, that was fun. Very cool song. I What I heard a rumor was that Dave does not like playing Yankee Rose unless it's the 4th of July. Have you heard that as well? No, I've never heard that. That's funny. That I, I will not confirm nor deny who told me that that played in his band, but it's it's uh, cool to hear that you were a fan of the solo material because most of the other musicians that I've spoken with who have played with him, not big fans, not deep dives into the, the solo career. They kind of went, yeah, I liked Eatem and Smile. I kind of like Skyscraper and then I fell off. So you go beyond that. Yeah, I mean, I love Eatem. Yeah, those two are, are it though. I mean, I did want to, not that it would be the smartest live because it's kind of more chill, but you know, damn good is a great song. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's all good at, at that. At, when you're in it, 
and if you're in the thick of it, it's like whatever is being told you for you to do, you're so grateful for doing it. And you're like, cool, this would be cool. This would be cool, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all amazing. I remember asking, what did I ask? I asked Dave, cause I had a couple questions about uh, women in love. We were hanging out after one of the, one of the rehearsals. And I was like, I have a question. Uh, the first lyric in women in love, me and my buddies always thought it was Marge, you're breaking my heart. And he's like, no, Frank, there's no fucking Marge. It's my heart. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> it was just funny because I was like, all right, there it is. Head right before That's my cool. eyes. That that makes sense to me. Although the Marge is a good lyric. And... You hear it, you know, <laughs> So you cool did the Vegas shows, then you did the Kiss shows until, you know, the pandemic kicked in. Did you think it was... I actually, I actually didn't do the Kiss shows. I, I only did the Vegas uh, shows. Really? Okay. So didn't Muscleman get swapped out in the middle of the Kiss shows as well? I believe so, yeah. Okay, so this continues that theme of... If well, I, I, I had a teaching thing going on uh, at some schools and shit, and it was... Sorry, I'm cussing. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's that Arizona vocabulary. I get there it. There you go. Well, I'm actually in LA. But if you're in that Jordan Ziff world, it's the Arizona. Maybe I was going to say it is Arizona. God damn it. Fucking Jordan. So you didn't do the Kiss shows. You know, there's so much conflicting information out there. I think they only did 10 or 11 of them before COVID took. The COVID thing, yeah, it happened and just pff, crazy. So you didn't go into it thinking, hey, this might be a three-year world tour. Uh, you know, you go in with a million thoughts, um, but you have to always just be ready. You know, in the, in the business, I think it's really important to expect, not cynically, but just expect nothing. Yeah. Do your best. Uh, see the possibilities, but don't, you know, you got to be realistic, so you hold on to all these certain things saying it's all going to happen, all going to happen. You know, you just sometimes that, well, not sometimes, the majority of the time it doesn't happen. You know, it, it sounds like you're saying the Mel Brooks quote, expect the worst, hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. But I try not to be as like, I'm expecting the worst cynical kind of shit, but yes, you know, you know what I mean? But something I find is a lot, much more than not, a lot of the Roth sidemen, are like in that network for life. They they see each other. They know what they've all been through. They're friends for life, even if they haven't met before. Like somebody like Ron Wixo is cool with everybody. Are you in that network yet? Or do, do you need me to break you into that network? With Ron? So do you know Ron? Uh, you didn't know Rocket before. But no. Ron, do you know the Bissonettes? Uh, I don't personally know the Bissonettes. Um, but yes, I've met a couple people that have, you know, get it and, and have worked and, you know, it's just like any relationship. It's like, Hey, you've done that. Cool. You've done cool. I've done that too. There's a camaraderie with it, you know, totally. I would love it though. Hey, if you want to shoot me his info. <laughs> we will do that offline. That is a promise. So, you know, you mentioned the endorsements before you mentioned teaching, you're playing in rat. You mentioned you have your own band is the long-term goal to be a feature guitar star player or is the end goal to just juggle a bunch of projects that are fun uh you know the end goal is to uh 
realistically, um, not be on the road six months out of the year. Uh, as fun as that all is and stuff, you know, as a, as a livelihood, you know, it's not um, maybe necessarily the end goal for some people it is. Um, just because of, you know, wanting to whatever, have a family, blah, 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 blah. I won't, no gushy stuff here, but you know what I mean? It's a real life decision type of thing. And yeah. if that's the life, that is the life, you know? And it's easy to say that's cool and just whatever. But then once actually is like implemented in a thing, you know? Um, but again, you know, whatever comes, comes. And uh, the goal is to just, Really, really, at my at my point is just be happy with with all all of it, you know. Um, not necessarily juggle, um, but I do love you know producing this band and having sessions and this and that and just having income like that is great. I love teaching. Um, so whether it's just doing film stuff, mm -hmm. cool, love it. Whether it's just teaching, cool. You know, um, cool. I'm not, I don't, I don't have a specific one thing as long as it's musical and I get to output the creativity. That's, that's success for me. You know, co-writing is that one of the things that's on the, the menu right. of what you do? Writing? Oh, writing yeah. meaning, uh, Hey, get them in the room. They write for the thing. And hopefully it's a cut on the album, that kind of game. Oh yeah. I mean, I write a million things my own stuff i've sold a million things this to whoever it may be helping bands write cutting certain tracks and it's not just rock stuff either you know it's all around the board it's just producing and and you know really musically speaking it's all these different genres and just doing that writing that way rather than you know it's easy to be like the token guitar guy right? <laughs> which i love and it's, it's great but you know writing a hip hop track or something like that too, for whoever it may be or helping. There's so many avenues. It's crazy. So you do music library work. Yeah, definitely. Ah, okay. That makes a lot of sense now. So you are not very pigeonholeable. <laughs> no, you know, you know, I, I, I'm a drummer. I'm a guitar player. I'm a bass player. I play piano, uh, you violin kinda, I can get away with it. Um, and then just really producing too, you know, electronic stuff, just getting into the whole different world. Not that I'm into it, but like if it's a track that's needed for so and so, whatever, boom, let's do it and we can get it done, you know. Wow. Okay. So one of the first things that I said to you was uh, so it sounds like you're playing guitar eight or nine hours a day. It might not be guitar, but there's music in some form of more of the day than not for you. And that oh, explains 100% why you're not itching to be on the road 300 days a year sure sure so so yeah. who are the who are the heroes for this long-term career path are are you a lucather guy more than a, an evh kind of guy based on the fact that playing on other people's stuff sometimes you're in the background sometimes you're in the forefront yeah you know i don't look at any one specific person or any people that i want to be like to do this, it's more of like um, you're in that world. Uh, you, you, you. I think I think the answer to that would be more of like when you're when you're really first starting off playing clean canvas, playing clean canvas as like a teenager. You know, it's like Eddie, 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 and that will always be there. 
you know? That's always there. Of course, that's the most, I love playing live and feeling that and seeing reaction and, you know, that whole moment, that's, that will never go away. Mm -hmm. uh, but as, I guess maybe as like an adult, now that you're there and you've been through X amount and you've, you've, you teach, you do this, you have sessions that you got, you kind of see this, this broadened type of perspective. So it's not that there's one person now that I want to emulate to do this. It's more of like, okay, business move, business mentality. How can we do this? How can we do that? Let's do that. I enjoy this. Is this fulfilling? Does it bring in income? You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you have your checklist of, you go, is this fun? Is this creatively fulfilling? Is this paying my rent or mortgage or monthly hey. cut? No, yeah. no. Yes, I'll do it. No, no, no. Totally. I will not do it. Totally. And, it, and, you know, growing up, it was in the, in the band, you know, my original band, how, you know, I've met so many cool people and so many connections and stuff. Uh, you're pouring in your heart and soul into this original project and it's a metal thing and you're very pigeon held into that, which is fine. Yeah. But then, um, you know, it's kind of like either you continue doing that or you switch gears a little bit, you know, hired gun type of thing where, where I'm always going to be available for that. Yeah. Uh, cover stuff or, you know, you kind of, you kind of branch off. Um, and it just depends on the type of musician you are. You know, some people only play one instrument and are like band people. Some people play many instruments and are more of like that whole kind of caliber of bands. Some people can play many instruments, don't play any band, no bands and just do production stuff. It's, you know, I think it took me a little while to, to, to appreciate the production and knowing that it's, a, it's, it's good. There's, there's possibilities in that side of the world, you know behind the scenes it's great yeah I, I was going to speak to your versatility as a player because if someone was really really ignorant and they went oh he played with roth and he plays with rat that's uh that's an 80s guy and you go um playing lay it down is a totally totally different thing than playing just a gigolo like different yeah. genres yeah. way cool junior is entirely different than unchained different techniques so you show from these two gigs hey you could do blues you could do swing you can do hard rock uh were there any punk style van halen songs i don't think you did doa or atomic no. or mean street no. but we did mean street i don't think you did mean street at the vegas shows i saw or right. the two shows i saw had the identical set list so maybe the other shows had had a different set per se but we did we did do mean street i do remember that i picked we, wrong nights I, I saw a harmonica a malfunction night show oh wow <laughs> uh, whatever it is i'm seeing more of them in a couple of weeks in vegas but you know oh, yeah that's great no you you probably know more than i do i just i remember rehearsing mean streets at a time that's why i'm like what the fuck? <laughs> Again, uh, ask the wife. I've been wrong about plenty, but ask the wife. <laughs> it's my mug. I'm sorry, it's my mug. <laughs> Great mug. Uh, there's there's a similar mug in in back of me as well. But the, the key is, if somebody says, "I want to learn more about Frankie," what are the best places to go to learn about that? That's that's question A. And question B is, are you Frank 
or Frankie by preference? Is, is Frankie the nickname that stuck from when you were 15? Or do people call you Frank or Frankie interchangeably? So there are the two questions for you. So my mom calls me Frank when she's mad and yells at me. My real name is Francesco, super Italian. Uh, but I've always been Frankie. But you can call me anything you want, except for asshole. <laughs> Hence why you work, because you're a good hang. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's always been Frankie. Uh, it's kind of funny, I, to be honest, in these weird crossroads, I'm 28, almost 29. It's like, should it be Frank now? Well, Tommy Lee, is, Tommy Lee is edging closer to 60, and he's Tommy. So Tommy and not Tom, so fuck, I'm going to keep it. Sammy Hagar is over 70. He's Sammy. Sammy. Yeah, you're right. I like Deborah that. Sin was Deborah for a couple of years. Not well received. Like when she was on stage with the Circle Jerks, she was Deborah, I think. And then yeah. he became Debbie again. Maybe she couldn't get the domain for Deborah. There you go. It's always a business fucking decision. Damn it. Just kidding. No, I'm not kidding, actually. No, you're not but kidding. But true. So best ways to find you online and stay up with the latest and greatest of Frankie? Yeah, man. Uh, well, of course, I'll say Instagram. Uh, the gram? The gram, you know. I love it. Love it. Just kidding. Totally hate social media. Uh, no, it's fun. I, I like posting little videos and being funny and dumb. So my Instagram is first name Frankie underscore last name. Lindia. Uh, but then the web, I have the website up too. Uh, thanks for reminding me. I need to keep that up to par. Uh, it's just FrankieLindia.com. And uh, yeah, you can see the Spotify, Apple Music, you know, released music. And uh, there's links to the Facebook and all that, of course. But I appreciate you asking. The well, plugs. The, the plugs. The key is we're getting new music from you, whether or, we not, whether or not we know it's from you due to the libraries. Yeah, of course, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, um, just very grateful to be able to be playing music and making a living and uh, teaching and passing that, you know, forward. Really? Really? Lots of gratitude for all of it, you know.